You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. In a couple of days, these little guys and gals are going to be going to bed with great anticipation. What's going to be under the Christmas tree? Anticipation is the key word for us as we've been going through God's word, preparing our hearts for Christmas. Imagine, if you will, anticipation for hundreds of years. Prophets of old anticipating something big, something beautiful, something that no matter how much insight they had, they couldn't get the full picture. But it seems that many of the prophets got a sliver of the picture, just a little bit of what God was doing. We've been looking at those prophecies. We've been examining those little vignettes in the Old Testament and how they bring us to the Christmas story, how they bring us to Bethlehem. And in fact, that's exactly where we'll go this morning. If you have your copy of Scripture, we're going to look at Micah chapter 5 and just one verse, verse 2. So if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we're going to hear this one verse that pinpoints the location of where the Christ would be born. But listen to what it says. It doesn't just tell us where, but it really does tell us who. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that in this moment that you will help us to feel your presence, that the one who is the ruler in Israel and the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords will fill our hearts this morning, and that, Lord, the one from ancient of days will be here in our midst. Oh, God, thank you for loving us so much and for giving us the gift of salvation. And here this Christmas, let us celebrate that great gift And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I grew up surrounded by farms and farmers. My mom and dad weren't farmers, but most of my friends, a lot of my friends were. And I can remember many a day uh, enjoying uh, frolicking around in old weathered barns with, with floors of dirt, the smell of animals. I guess because of that upbringing and being around a more country setting, this story I'm about to share with you has really appealed to me over the years. Perhaps you've heard it, but I think it's one of the best illustrations of why Christ came. The story is told of a farmer, probably in the plain states where there aren't too many trees, certainly no no hills, and when the cold winds blow in from the west in the winter, they can come very quickly, and it can grow cold very, very quickly. And the story is told about a farmer who had finished his day and was was gathering all the livestock up and putting them in the barn and getting, getting ready for what he knew was coming, a very, very cold winter's night. A cold snap had come upon the countryside, and he was getting ready for that. And as he was about to close the barn door and get everything secured, he looked up and he saw up on, uh, on, a, on a wire, uh, a power line, he saw a, a number of birds. A number of birds that had probably uh, missed, missed the memo, uh, didn't, didn't know that it was going to get cold so quick. They should have flown south long before that time, and there they were. And the farmer looked up and saw those birds and realized that they were going to perish in the cold of the night. 
And so he had an idea. He went into the barn and he, and he grabbed a, a rake and he went out and he was trying to shoo the birds into the barn. And for some reason, the birds wouldn't cooperate. They stayed put just watching the farmer with, with eyes. Uh, you know, you could see the birds looking down like, what do you, what do you want? What are you doing? More, more frightened than comforted by such things. But the farmer had the right idea. He was trying to get them to swoop down into the barn and into the warmth of the barn and, and into safety. It was a frustrating time. He was getting cold and the birds were simply uh, not doing what they were told. <laughs> then he had a thought. He thought, you know, if I could just be like one of those birds, I could fly up to that power line and I could communicate to them the problem. I could, I could swoop down into the barn and show them the way to, to life and warmth. If only I could become one of them. Now we know in a story like that, most likely those birds didn't make it. But now we come to our story and we begin to realize that we are like those birds. We are, we are caught in this world. We are caught in our sins We would live our lives and and go our own way and do our own thing. But the Bible says that 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 way that we would go is a way of death. But God became one of us. He became one of us so that we could know the way, so that he could guide us into the warmth of the Heavenly Father, into the light of life that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, there there is no better, better illustration of why Jesus came. The prophets anticipated the coming of the Messiah, but even they couldn't fully appreciate why this had to happen. The God of heaven and earth has spoken in his word. He, had, he tells us what we need to know, but ultimately we needed the flesh and blood appearance of Jesus the Savior. As I think about this story, as I think about the gospel story of Jesus coming and being born in a manger. When I think of the story of Mary and Joseph caring for this tiny child, none of them, no one that was surrounding Jesus there in Bethlehem could have fathomed what was going on. And the reason why is because of the great humility of the moment. How can you look at a a helpless child and think that that is the one promised of old, the one that the prophets had spoken of? But here, this very small gift so small, so vulnerable, brought to us amazing grace. You know, the Christmas story is all about God taking pity on the little ones. Humility is the prevailing theme of the incarnation and of Christmas. I think this is the message that the church needs to hear today. We need to be reminded that God has kept us in this world. Once we come to know Jesus, church, God keeps us in this world so that we can continue to communicate the incarnation, to continue to tell people the wonderful story of Jesus and his salvation. The world needs to hear this story. The world needs to be filled with the love of Christ. Micah 5.2 is, is a a great passage of scripture and it does uh, help us launch into a journey of sorts And I want to show you in in a couple of ways here, in several ways here, how the story of Christmas is about humility. 
how God is able to reach down to us. And really this morning, it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. It doesn't matter what your past is. I want you to know that Christ is able to enter into your life as well. There is life in his name. There is hope in Christ. And we want you to find that. And what's interesting is the place where we find it first is what I'm going to call a nowhere kind of place. Bethlehem, a nowhere place. Here in Micah 5, again, notice that Bethlehem is mentioned as a small place, too little to be even considered among the clans of Judah. Notice in the text, too little, it would seem. And yet God does something so big. I grew up in, as I said a moment ago, in a pretty rural part of the country. To me, a big city was St. Louis or Nashville. I thought those were just the biggest cities in the world. I didn't know any better. As I got older, I realized that they are big cities, but nothing like a New York, an LA, a London, a Milan, something like that. There are bigger cities in the world. But if you've ever been around those big cities and big city folk, um, you know that those places truly are Uh, They're big and they have a gravitational pull. Um, People want to go to New York City, not not just to go on Broadway or to to go to the museums and all of those things, but because that's where big business is. There's so much happening. It's the center of the universe, it seems. And so when something big comes out of New York, everybody sort of shrugs their shoulders and says, well, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. But here's what's interesting. Those who grow up in in big places like that just think that's the way it is, that only good things can come from big cities. But, But when we look to the scripture, we see that that was not God's plan at all. God chose a nowhere place. By every objective standard, Bethlehem was just such a nowhere place. Here in Micah, if you take a look at this passage of scripture, if I were to have time to give you the full picture, once again, Micah is a prophet writing in a time of crisis. The prophets are always writing in times of crisis, it seems. The people of God are not listening to the word of God. They're not being faithful. And so the Lord is speaking through his prophets, telling the people to come home. And though there is still Hezekiah to come, which was going to be a bright spot for Judah, for the most part, everything was falling apart all around Micah. And we see that in verse 1. Notice verse 1, it gives us the picture of a siege. But muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike like the judge of Israel on the cheek. Okay, that doesn't sound like a good situation to me. Micah is painting a very difficult picture, a very dark, dark picture. Jerusalem is in trouble. But hear this. The prophets say, and I say to you as well, the answer to our problems in life, the hope we need is not going to be found anywhere but in God. Some people are going to look to Washington, D.C. or New York or some big city or some big-time politician for their answers. But here in the text, what we see is that the the promise doesn't come from Jerusalem, which would have been the, the big city. It would have been the city on the hill. It would have been Zion, where everybody thought that God would move, where God would work. But it wasn't in Jerusalem that God chose to send the Messiah. It was Bethlehem. It was in this town that is too little that God begins to do something big. Not just big, but enormously big, big enough to save the whole world. 
One might think, though, if you look at verse 2, that perhaps that, that Micah is just talking about another king, a king like Hezekiah that would do good things and be just another son of David. But if you look carefully at the text, there's hints and clues that what we need, my friends, is something more than a king, a politician, a mere uh, son of man like you and me. We need the son of man. We need the son of God. We need the Messiah. Notice what it says there. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. The one who always has been, the one who is and will be forevermore, enters into time and space to save us. That's what Micah is talking about. He's not just telling us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but that he would be the Lord our God, the Savior we need. What a beautiful story. Verse 4 tells us that he's going to stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. This is the shepherd, the, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. This is the one that we've all needed. This is the one that every generation needs. This message is simple. It was as true in that day as it is true today. And what it is is this. Yes, Life can be tough, but God is at work. Church, hear me. We cannot expect, if we are going to preach the gospel faithfully, that the world is going to just drink it in and love us for giving, giving them that message. It's going to be tough, but I believe with all my heart that the Christmas story reminds me that God does big things, that God is at work. He was at work in Micah's heart, preparing him for the Messiah. He was at work when Jesus came to bring hope and salvation to the world. And he is at work today, working through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his churches, to bring the gospel message to a lost generation. We are here to to, uh, experience this in our own hearts and to see God move. God didn't work in a city of influence or power. He worked in Bethlehem. God would rise up a mighty oak from a seemingly insignificant acorn. And the bread of life would rise up from a city whose Hebrew name translates house of bread. I believe this, that God still wants to raise up mighty oaks from little acorns. And I believe that, that you, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, If you will allow Christ to dwell in your heart and to fill your heart, you can become a mighty oak for the Lord. Think about this. From Bethlehem, this tiny town, uh, comes the bread of life that feeds the world. God does big things and often does them through very small packages like we are. I think about this often where God has had me in ministry over the years. I've, I've preached and pastored in small towns. I can remember in seminary preaching in some, some, some uh, churches where, I'm, I'm not joking, I had more deacons praying with me this morning that were in attendance. You know, I, I, I was thinking that this morning when the deacons were praying with me, I thought, wow, I can remember a little church in North Texas one time I was preaching and I didn't have this many people in the whole congregation. And here we are praying together, getting ready for, for God to move. I mean, God, God has shown me, though, that in those out-of-the-way places, he is at work. 
God has people. God has a plan. God wants to do a mighty work. And Springfield, uh, Missouri here, is not a town that, that a New York City person or an L.A. person is necessarily going to think much of. But I want to tell you, God thinks a lot of Springfield. And God wants to work in Springfield. There are people in the world that would say that just as Bethlehem was a a nowhere place, that Springfield is a nowhere place. But I want to tell you, I want this to be a place that becomes the epicenter of a great revival. We don't need the world to know us for our wealth, our prestige, or our power. But what we want the world to know us for is that the Holy Spirit is here. That God is moving and that God is working. God chooses a people. Like us, listen, as Southern Baptists, we can crow about how big our denomination is, but those of us who are paying attention realize in many ways we are shrinking and people are looking at that saying, oh no, but I want to tell you, don't just look at those numbers. I'm seeing around our convention, I'm seeing people making disciples. I believe that we are building up for a time of great revival. I believe the time of spiritual awakening is coming and it will come from nowhere places like the towns we were born in, the towns we were raised in. Don't look for the big show in New York or LA or London or Rome, but believe that it can happen right here in towns in the Midwest, in little villages and hamlets that everyone forgets. Believe me when I tell you, God does big things through little people. And we may be little, But we can be mighty if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about the nowhere place. Because anywhere where God is, that means something. That means everything. When the mighty Lord God shows up, that's all you need. The last place you look is often where God shows up. God brings greatness out of nothing and something out of nowhere. And when I think about those lines there... This is what I think about. I think about the last place anybody would have looked for the son of God was a feeding trough, a manger. Talk about a nowhere place. And yet the son of God was laid in just such a manger. Friends, we have to believe that God is at work. Don't stop looking for God. Don't stop anticipating that God wants to work through you. Don't give up on God's dream for your life. Yes, give up on your dream for your life, but never give up on God's dream for your life. His dream for your life is better. Receive that dream that he has for you, that calling, and let him work in your life. Now let's go to the New Testament. I want to show you an interesting connection here between Micah and Mary. So I'm going to say this, and I want to say this with respect, utmost respect here. Mary is a nobody. Now, now, now think about what I'm saying there. This, is, this, this might be considered sacrilege, but I, here's the thing. What I want you to realize is this isn't what I say about Mary. This is what Mary says about herself. Take a look at verse 48. And just as we talked about a nowhere place like Bethlehem, I want you to see how God uses a nobody like Mary. Look at verse 48. It says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. But notice it says that she has a humble estate. Look at verse 52. He has brought me down 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. You sense that the the theme here is very similar. Not, Not Jerusalem, but Bethlehem. Not a princess or a queen in a castle, but a very humble woman named Mary who was unknown outside of her tiny little village of Nazareth. That's the way that God works. He works not through the people that, that, that think they're important, but the people who see themselves as just the opposite. Those who see themselves as nobodies. One of the scariest things is when we hear our children trying to be somebody, when they want to be the one that's the center of attention, when people want to be the focus of all that is going on. Listen, we don't need that. What we need to be, we need to be a people who are willing to be nobody if we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we can be the kind of people that point others to God, that's who we need to be. Notice in Luke 1.46, the song of Mary begins where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's life purpose was not to magnify herself, but to magnify her Lord. Mary understood that she was a nobody, but that God was using her in a mighty way. Verse 48 tells it just that way, that though she is of humble estate, she knows that future generations will call her blessed because of what God is doing through her. If we want to change the world, we need Christ to change our hearts. If our hearts are on fire for Jesus, we will have lives that live well beyond our mortality. If we will be a nobody in the world's eyes and receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then we will be able to lead many somebodies to Jesus. Invest your life in eternal things. Invest your heart and soul into the Lord. Notice this, the humble estate of Mary. She considers herself a slave, a handmaiden of God. The power flows from God. For he, verse 49, is mighty. He has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Who is the hero of Mary's song? It's God. Who is the hero of your song and story? I hope it's God. Because if you have any other hero, any other hope, friends, you're missing out on the power of God. Mary and the prophet Micah both help us to see how God exalts the lowly, bringing down the high, the rich, and the mighty. That's what verses 51 through 53 tell us. The world sets limits on lowly people like us, but God is not bound by those limits. He turns things upside down. When the apostles were doing their thing there in the book of Acts, that was one of the critiques or observations made about them. There, I think in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, that they were the ones that were turning the world upside down. Church, when we understand that we are servants of God, slaves of God, nobody's in the eyes of the world, that's when we can turn the world upside down also. And I'm going to tell you, the world needs turning upside down. The world needs to be shook up. 
The world today is very confident and sure in itself. But we know that according to the word of God, apart from the grace of Jesus, the grace that comes to the cross of Jesus, our friends and neighbors are lost and condemned. But we also know that the power of the gospel can save them. What this lost world needs are servants of the Lord God most high. What this world needs is you and I fully committed to being nobodies so that Jesus can be everything. Jesus is not everything until we see ourselves as nobodies. Strive to be a nobody like Mary. Christmas is for the little ones who put God above self, kingdom above personal ambitions, holiness above desires. The only question for us right at this point is, will you, will I, will we become nobodies. And that brings us to Jesus. Jesus is the example of becoming nothing for everything. Take a look, if you will, if you can, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This famous passage of, of Paul's that describes the exalted Christ. But we understand that before the exaltation of Christ came the humiliation of Christ. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Bethlehem was a nowhere town. Mary was a nobody. And the eternal God who created the heavens and the earth became nothing so that we could know the gift of salvation. Think about this. Before the little ones, you and me, as, as, as I think about it, we think of Christmas, it's for the little ones, right? For the, for the kids. We say that often. You know, we want to make sure we have a really good Christmas for our little ones. We'll realize we're all little ones. Spiritually speaking, we're bankrupt apart from God. When it, when it comes right down to it, in the economy of grace, apart from Jesus, we don't have anything, no credit at all. We are all little ones in the sight of God apart from the blood of Christ. We need to understand this, that we are the little ones, but we are important enough to God that God sent his only son. The story of Christmas, the story of Mary and Joseph and going to Bethlehem and having, having Christ born there in Bethlehem, the whole story just ought to blow your mind that God would be doing all of these things to save you from your sins. Don't forget that. All of the, of the discomforts of that journey, all of the indignities of the barn, all of those things God did for you. Again, the world is going to tell you that you don't matter, but look into Bethlehem and you will see a different narrative. You will see when you look into Bethlehem and when you look into the stable that you matter so much that God gave his only begotten son in a way like this. You are important to God. You may be little in the world's eyes, but you mean everything to God. Why do I say we need to, to be the church that's humble, that's preaching Jesus? Because the world needs to know this. The world tells little people that they're just that, that they're little and insignificant. If you don't come from the right place, if you don't have the right degree, if you don't have the right amount of money in your bank account, the world will tell you that you don't count. But Jesus says you count. 
And he proves it by not only coming to Bethlehem, but dying on Calvary. He loves you that much. The Christmas story is about a gift beyond imagination. Verse 7 tells us about how God poured himself out, that, that Christ pours himself out so that he can communicate the gospel to us. In this, in this little moment, we have the story of the, of the birds, the sparrows of, uh, that I shared with you at the beginning, that, that God would take on flesh and dwell among us, that he would take on such a humble form so that he could communicate to us the peril that we are in, that the cold sting of death is stalking us, and the only hope we have is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and not only taught us these things, but he lived and he died and he rose again. We need to be like Christ, who didn't see it as as robbery, to be made so humble, but saw it as a gift. When will we learn that we are at our best when we are giving, giving to a lost world, giving? Are they going to appreciate it? Are they going to understand it? No, but be a person who gives in the name of Jesus for the glory of the kingdom. The old King James Version speaks in verse seven of a being of no reputation, I kind of like that translation, one, because it's what I grew up with, and two, because it's actually a really good translation. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't worry about his reputation. What he worried about is your soul. And some of us are more worried about our reputations than the souls of those around us. And we're not sharing Christ as we ought to because we're too worried about being embarrassed than we are about being faithful. What the world needs us to be, we need to be humble witnesses. We need to be humble servants. We need to realize that Christmas and Christianity is about the little ones. And when we learn to give everything to those, those who are small in the world, those who are marginalized, those who do not know what justice is, when we give them our best, when we show them that they matter, we are living the Christian life. It's time for the church to be like Christ in this way. If we do not humble ourselves before the one who humbled himself unto death, we will die in our sins. There is room at the cross for you. And yes, I mean that by, uh, uh, in, in the sense that if you don't know Christ this morning, you need to humble yourself before that cross. But I want to say this also to believers. There is room at the cross for you as well. We need to constantly bow before our Savior reminding ourselves that not only did he come as a baby there in a manger, but he also came as a man who died on the cross. And we need to draw near unto the cross. And we need to remember the great humiliation that he suffered on our behalf. And we need to be a people who are always thankful, bringing glory to God for what he has done. The way of Christianity is humility. We see Jesus coming in a nowhere place. He was born to a mom who by the world standards was a nobody and he made himself nothing. All of these points I'm making this morning put us lower, yes, but lift God higher. And when we lift God higher, it's amazing how he brings us up with him. Receive Christ. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we could just know what we need most in life? Well, We have the words of Christ. We have the hope of salvation in his name. We, like the sparrows, have this friend 
who became one of us. This morning, the only question left is, will you receive his gift? Do you realize that he knows exactly what your heart needs? Will you receive this beautiful present from God? No matter who you are, no matter how little you think you are spiritually, God's love is powerful enough to save you. Receive Christ. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.